Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. How did we get here? Last week when we left off, God had made this incredible world. It was beautiful. He planted a garden. He called it good. He put human beings there. And he said, fill the world. It's all yours. Set up a life here. Have babies. Be blessed. Sin entered the world. And just five chapters later, God regrets even making them. The story that we're going to look at today is a story about God and his response to a world that's been overrun by sin. It's a story you're probably familiar with. There's a guy named Noah, a big boat and lots of water. We've made it a children's story, but it's not. It's a story about a father, a father who watches as his children misbehave, a father who watches as his children mistreat one another. He built them this incredible world and they've ruined it in so many ways. And now they're destroying themselves. And he's a dad. He can't let this kind of thing go unpunished. He can't watch as his kids hurt each other. And he's a dad who's full of redemption and second chances for his kids. And despite their sin, he loves them and he would do anything for them. The story that we're going to look at today is found in Genesis chapter six. If you got a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on. Genesis chapter six. We started something new last week in 2022. We're going to march through the Bible together, not every single verse, but we're going to look at these key moments in the Bible. And so last week we started on page one and Lord willing, by the end of the year, we'll make it to the end. We also started a new session of small groups. And so I'm super excited about how small groups and this series are going to go together. I think there's going to be great conversation in your small groups. And Pastor Joe talked about this. We're going to read through the Bible together in 2022. And maybe you've read through the Bible in a year before, or maybe you've tried and it's a lot of reading. And for many of us, we get to about January 15th and we're two weeks behind. And so we just give up, right? But we think that we've written a Bible reading plan that anyone can manage. If you can read just three times a week, just three chapters each time, you're not going to read every verse of the Bible. But again, the key moments of the Bible, you'll finish the Bible in the year. And here's the cool thing is if you fall behind, no worries. It's easy to get caught up. And so if you want to be a part of that, you can pick up one of these uh, Bible reading plans at guest services, or we even have an electronic copy online if you'd rather have that. So you can check out our website. And in 2022, we're going to read the Bible, but we're going to do it together. Back to Genesis 6. The world is so evil, it's so corrupt that God looks down and he goes, I just want to destroy the whole thing. And it's not because he's mean. It's that he can't watch what's going on. He can't watch his children being mistreated. Here's the story. Genesis 6 verse 9. It says, this is an account 
of Noah and his family. Just worth pointing out, Moses stops right away. This is a story of Noah and his family. He tells us what it's not. I know that the the flood story, there's so much controversy around it. And we're going to talk about some of that fun stuff, but it's like, did this flood happen? Where did all the water come from? I get it. There's lots of questions. But right away, he goes, here's what I'm not doing. I'm not writing a science book. I'm not writing a book about the weather. This isn't about the fluid dynamics of rainwater, okay? This is a book about a guy named Noah and his family. And it's a story about God. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So he's building this contrast. All the earth is filled with sin and evil and corruption. And then there's Noah. And Noah has integrity. And he's not perfect by any means, but he's respected in his community. And he's this upstanding guy, and he has a relationship with God. Verse 11 says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. All the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And so God says, he speaks to Noah, and he says, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm going to destroy both them and the earth. So Noah, make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. I kind of just like to sit back and watch Noah in this story. Here's just this real guy. He's a real dude. He's got a real family. He's got real hopes and dreams. And God comes to him and God has just told him that he's going to wipe out humanity. And let's be honest, there's a part of Noah who's like, yeah, God, get them. These people are bad. And there's a part of Noah that's just really sad that God would do this and just really sad about the state of the world. But watch Noah in this exchange with God. Watch Noah. There's something about his faith because Noah He never argues with God, never fights with him. As far as I can tell, he doesn't even ask any questions. It's not to say that he doesn't have doubts, but he doesn't go, oh God, this isn't fair. You can't do this. He just listens. And God goes, no, you're going to build a boat. And it's not just any boat. It's going to be this big boat. And he gives him a shopping list. You got to go down to Home Depot. And here's some things that you got to pick up. You're going to need some wood. Oh no, you're going to need a lot of wood. Find the most buoyant wood that you can find and buy a whole bunch of it. Noah, you're going to want to buy some pitch because we're going to wrap this thing. We can't have any leaks on this boat. Probably should get some roofing tiles because we're going to put a top over this thing. It's going to be elaborate. Oh, and Noah, this ship, she's going to be a big girl. Longer than a football field, taller than a four-story building, 100,000 square feet of floor space. You can park 48 Boeing 747s inside the ark. This thing is massive. No boat this big will be built again until the 1800s AD. And Noah just listens. Doesn't freak out. He just goes, okay, keep going, God. Verse 17, God says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. No, God, you can't do that. God, there's people down here that I love. There's family and neighbors and coworkers, and I love them. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't panic. He just listens. God says, I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and, with, and you will enter the ark. 
you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. You're to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Verse 22 says that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. We'll get to what God is doing, but just, just watch Noah. His faith is incredible. He, he lives in the desert. He's building a boat. He lives in the desert. We don't know how long it took him to build this boat. Scholars argue, like maybe it was 20 years, maybe it was 40 years. No one's really sure. You know his wife is going, honey, when are you going to get that thing out of the yard? <laughs> and he just builds a boat. He just keeps going. There's something about his faith. He's not running around the neighborhood with the tinfoil hat on, screaming about rain, freaking the neighbors out. He just keeps going. Steady quiet, maybe even a little bit boring kind of faith that this guy has. I don't know how he does it. I don't know if he's out there swinging a hammer himself. I don't know if he hires a big work crew to do it, but day after day, just building a boat, quiet, steadfast, just keeps going. I could learn something from Noah. How about you? See, I want, I want the miracles. Come on, God. Come on, show me something big. Show me something good. I need some sign, God. Here's Noah just plugging along day after day. God, I don't know what you're up to. God, I have no idea what this is going to look like when all is said and done. But God, I believe your word. And so I'm just going to keep going. There's something in there for us. When we look at his faith, there's something. We can look at this Noah guy, and he's not perfect, but there's something that we could learn from his faith. Jump to chapter 7. Here comes the rain. Chapter 7, verse 11 says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 18 says, The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the surface of the water. The waters rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the heavens were covered. The waters rose, covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Probably just worth slowing down for a minute and asking, did this really happen? Is this true, this story? Do you, do you believe that this actually happened? There's so many questions about the flood, more questions than there are answers. Did it really happen? Was it really worldwide? I've heard all the arguments. Well, the weight of, of the water, the world couldn't actually, the earth couldn't hold that and it would, it would collapse on itself. There are so many talking points on this. Here's what you need to know, I think. This story, this idea of a flood historically is known throughout almost every Culture. Every culture has a version. This idea of lots of rain, a boat, divine judgment, and, and a few survivors. This is almost universally accepted. More than 200 religions have a flood story. And as crazy as the biblical account of this story is, it's actually the most believable of all the stories. Let me tell you about some. The, the second most famous flood story in history is out of Babylon. Babylon's flood story goes something like this. The vessel, their ark, their vessel was a cube. It housed all the animals and some people of the world, and it was made in seven days. It was made by the gods because the gods of Babylon thought that the human beings were too noisy, so they decided to destroy them. Here's a homework assignment for you. Go home and fill the bathtub and find something that's a cube and see how it floats. Noah, they'd just be doing, the animals would just be doing somersaults in this thing while it's raining. 
Another story, the Sumerian flood story, their, their ark, their vessel is, it's the shape of a cone. Try and float an ice cream cone upside down in your bathtub. See how that works. It doesn't work. The biblical story, this account, as crazy as it seems, is the most unbelievable, or is the most believable of all the flood stories. And yet I concede it's really hard to believe. How much water? All the rivers and, and, and streams overflowed and there was that much rain? Really? Full disclosure, I believe that this story happened the way the Bible describes it. But I would encourage you, when you get to a tough passage like this, you got to wrestle this out. So you get to a passage like this, you go, I don't even know what to make of this. Talk to God about it. He can handle that. Talk to someone you trust, a friend or a family member, and go, let me talk to you about this flood story. Did this really happen? Talk about the details with me. Also, my encouragement for you is to have a really good study Bible. And right, right now, we're reading through the Bible together, right? So it'd be a great time if you don't own a study Bible. Get your hands on a study Bible. Go out and buy one because it's great when you can read notes and things. You go, these men and women have studied the Bible far more than I have. They're far smarter. Like, what are they saying about this? But don't get hung up on the controversy of the flood. It's not a science book. This is a story about a guy named Noah. And ultimately, it's a story about God. Keep going. Verse 21 it says that every living thing that moved on land perished. And this is where I hate the story. This is where it's not a kid's story anymore. It's not just made for Sunday school. Listen, we decorated my daughter's when she was a baby. We decorated her nursery in, in Noah's Ark. Little hippos and giraffes and lions and old man Noah standing on the ark waving. I'm not sure who he's waving to. This is not a kid's story. Animals died. Birds fell out of the sky. They had nowhere to land, but they couldn't flap their wings anymore. Noah, from inside the ark, listened to the screams of his drowning neighbors. Everything on earth died. There's no sugarcoating it. If you've ever wondered how much God hates sin, now you know. If you've ever wondered, what would God do to defeat evil? Now you know. Everything on earth died. And to me, it's soul crushing. That verse, every living thing that moved on the earth perished. It's soul crushing. It weighs on me like the verses in the Gospels that talk about Christ hanging on a cross because now I know how much God is saddened by my sin. I know how much he hates my sin. In his loving and perfect and holy character, he can't stand sin. He can't stand my sin. He can't stand the way I've treated people. He can't stand my arrogance and my greed. This is how much God hates sin. Every living thing that moves on the earth is dead. And you read this story and you can't walk away from it. You can't just sort of sweep it aside. There is a reality that hangs over this story that God is a God of justice and he will bring judgment on sin. You can't read the story and not just sit in it. Sit in this reality that sin leads to judgment and sin leads to destruction. And I don't like it. 
And I don't think it's fair, but it's what sin is. The Bible says that the wages of sin are death. God is perfect and he's holy. He can't just look the other way. People are offending him. They're sinning against him and they're sinning against his children. What good parent just looks away and pretends like it's not happening? No way. God can't ignore this. His children are being hurt. He has to deal with sin. Remember where we started? God made a world. He made a perfect world. It's beautiful. There's a garden there. He makes human beings and he puts Adam and Eve in this garden. He says, it's yours. He gives them purpose. He gives meaning to their life. He gives them love. He gives them freedom and he gives them choices. One of the choices that they make is to eat from that one tree, just one tree he told them not to. And sin gets in the bloodstream. And five chapters later, the Bible says that every inclination of every thought of every human heart is evil. God can't ignore that. And we have to sit in the reality of this story, and, and, and in some ways, the reality of the world that we live in today, there is sin and there is evil. You and I have sinned against a perfect and holy God, and he can't ignore it forever. Sin must be dealt with. We've offended him. We've hurt his children. No good dad ignores that. It must be dealt with. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Chapter eight it says, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. These two words when coupled together are so powerful. They show up together about 60 times in the Bible, but God, everything was going in one direction. All hope was lost. There was no turning back, but God intervened. And if you watch in the Bible, it will show up again and again and again. And if you would open your eyes and see it happens in your life all the time, you find yourself in a situation, you're going one direction where all hope is lost. There is no turning back. There's nothing good, and God intervenes. But God, every living thing on the earth has perished. Noah and his family are on a boat. It feels like God has forgotten them. They've been there for more than a year. Everything around them is dead. All hope is lost. But God, God remembers his people. He doesn't forget about them. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to go Bible nerd for a minute. I, I want to go through this, and I, I want you to pay close attention. I want to show you something. I want you to pay close attention between the, the, this, this exchange between God and Noah. I want you to listen to the language, and I'll show you, but I want you to listen to the language of how what God is about to do as they come out of the flood, what God is about to do, the language resembles what God does at creation. What I believe that God is about to do through Noah is he's going to restart creation. And it already happened right here in, in verse one. Did you catch it? The, the earth is covered in water. And to get the earth dry, God sends a wind over the earth to get the waters to recede. Do you remember what God does in the beginning of the Bible? It's early on. Creation hasn't really even started yet. And the second verse of the Bible 
The second verse of the Bible says that the earth was dark and it was empty. It was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This word right here, spirit, is the same as that word for wind. It's the same Hebrew word. In Hebrew, it's this word ruach. So at creation, the earth was, was formless and void, formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the waters, and there was the Spirit of God. There was the Ruach of God hovering over the waters. Now, post-flood, as we come out of the flood, what's going on? God sends a wind, God sends a Ruach to hover over the waters of the earth to recede, to call back the waters. Moses is writing in such a way that he would take our mind back to the beginning. He's drawing us back to creation. Look at this. Genesis 8 verse 15. God gives instructions. He says to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, and bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. Remember when God made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden? He gave them a purpose, didn't he? He gave them an assignment. What was their job? It was to take care of creation, to take care of the animals, right? God says, partner with me, and we're going to reign together. We're going to rule together over creation. In fact, he even lets Adam name the animals. You remember that? This is your mission. This is your purpose, is to love each other and to care for creation. What's he telling Noah and his sons? Hey, those animals that are on the boat with you, when you get off, take care of them. Here's your mission. Here's your purpose. Go and care for creation. Take care of the animals that I've given you. It's the exact same thing. Keep reading. Take care of the animals, the birds, the animals, the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase. At creation, what does God tell Adam and Eve to do? And what does he say the animals are supposed to do? Multiply. Multiply on the earth. Fill the earth. Be fruitful and increase. He's drawing us back to creation. It seems to me like God is, at the end of the flood, he's restarting creation. I'll show you why that matters in just a minute. Keep going. One more. Genesis 9 says, then God blessed Noah. What did God, after he made Adam and Eve, what is the very first thing that God did at creation? He Bless them. It's the exact same thing. He blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. What were the instructions to Adam and Eve at creation? Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. This is verbatim Genesis 1.28. It says that God blessed Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, increase on the earth. He says to Noah, blesses him, and he says, be fruitful an increase in your number. He is, it seems to me, God is giving creation a fresh start. The story ends this way, verse 11. God says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God puts a rainbow in the sky that when we see a rainbow, we would be reminded of God's faithfulness and his promise. What is the point of this story? Why does it show up in the Bible? It's not a kid's story, right? Like we've made it that. We all sang in Sunday school about the arky arky, the floody floody's going to come. Remember that one? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's not a kid's story. In fact, in some ways when you read it, it's a horror story. So Moses sits down and he's gathering stories. He's going to write the first 
few books of the Bible. And he's gathering these stories of, of oral tradition that have been passed down through his ancestors. He's compiling the stories that he's going to put in the library that's going to tell the story of God and God's people. And as he's gathering things that he's going to put in there, he's talking with God and Moses and God go, this story has to be in there. We want this crazy story about a flood and God's redemption and God, how he, God judges sin and he destroys everything to rebuild it. We want that story in there. Why is it in there? Here's what I think. Just at the highest level, I think what God is telling us, what this story is telling us, is that God is a God of judgment and of salvation. Or maybe it's simpler, just a down-to-earth way of saying it, is that God judges sin and he offers a restart. I mean, the world had become pure evil. God can't look at that and just go, ah, no big deal. He can't look the other way. He can't pretend like it's not happening. It's like a parent watching their children being mistreated and just going, ah, no big deal. I'll just let that keep going. He could never do that. He has to deal with this. He has to deal with sin. But he's also a God. He is a father who always makes a way for redemption. He gives his people a do-over, a, 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 a new start. Things are going in this direction. There's no hope. Remember those words? But God. But God. God intervenes in love. He gives creation, a, a, all of creation a do-over. But he gives purpose and he gives meaning and he gives love to it, just like he did when he made it to begin with. What we broke, God puts back together. And I think... What God wants us to see is that at this really big level, at this sort of worldwide level, I think God wants us to see, listen, I have power over everything. I have power to sustain. I have power to create. And I will judge sin. I have to. I can't let it go undealt with. Sin is a really big deal. Both the, the sins, all the sins of the world, the things that have been done to us, the things that we've done, your sin, my sin, it's a really big deal. And God is perfect and holy, and he can't just let that go on forever. Like, nothing's happening. And so even for each of us, as we read this story, this ancient story, yet there's something in it for us that we have to sit in this story. And understand how much God hates sin. He hates your sin and he hates my sin. But we can turn the page also. There's sort of a, a page turn here that happens because also what we know about God and what God wants us to see here is that God is also a father. He's a father who offers his kids a fresh start. Right? Yes, he's this God who, who judges sin, but he's also a father who offers his kids always a fresh start. He could have wiped out the world completely. He could have just said, I'm done. Like, like totally scrap all of this thing that I made. We're starting over. Go back to the drawing board. Let me sketch something out. Start coming up with something new. It's not what he does. He actually remakes what we broke. He recreates the world that he had already made. He doesn't just scrap the whole thing. He goes, let me put back together what you've broken. He's this God who offers a fresh start to his children. And I think for you and me, it's like as we read this story, we have to see our sin in this story, and it's so heavy. And I hope it drives us to repentance. 
I hope it drives us to, to confess our sin, and I hope that we can see that God is a God who offers a fresh start. And the fresh start comes first, first through Jesus Christ, because sin has to be dealt with. And so God deals with sin through Christ and his death on the cross. If we have a relationship with him, our sin has been dealt with. The wages of sin is death, yes, but the free gift of eternal life and forgiveness is through Jesus Christ. Our sin has been dealt with. And God gives us a fresh start in that way, but he gives us a fresh start in our relationship with him every day. The Bible says your mercies, God, your mercies are new every day. Every morning when we wake up, God goes, here's a fresh start. And as many times as we need it throughout the day, he goes, you need a do-over? You need to start over? That's fine. I've got that for you. I don't know what God shows you in a story like this. Probably for each of us, it's something a little bit different. Maybe, maybe today God shows you that there's unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe as you read this story and you feel just the weight of sin, he shows you that there's unconfessed sin in your life. He's not showing you that to make you feel bad. He's showing you to drive you to repentance. Repentance means to repent means to actually go the other direction. I'm going one way. I'm changing direction completely. Maybe there's something about this story that God shines light on brokenness, on unconfessed sin in your life, and he lights a path forward for you. But maybe for you, this story, there's something about a fresh start. Maybe you really need a fresh start. Maybe you need a fresh start because today you had a fight with your spouse and you need to extend forgiveness or you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to go, can we start over? Can we do just a do over here? Because God gives that to us between him and us. He wants us to give that with other people. Maybe you need a fresh start because 2022 was supposed to be different. It wasn't supposed to go like this. This was going to be the year. You killed that addiction. You took seriously your walk with the Lord. You surrendered your anxieties over to him. You were going to read your Bible this year. And we're a couple weeks in and things are off the rails. And you need a fresh start. If God can restart the world, can he restart what's broken in your life? If God can put back together what we messed up in the world, can he put back together your strained relationships? Can he heal what feels like brokenness in your relationship with him? Can he renew excitement in you and passion? Can he give you hope again? If he can restart the world, can he do that? He's dealt with your sin through Christ. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's dealt with your sin through Jesus and his death on the cross. He's given you a do-over, a fresh, clean start in that way. He wants to give you a clean start each and every day, but you have to be humble enough to go to him. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, to confess it to him. He already knows. If you need a do-over, if you need a fresh start, things are already off the rails, he'll give you a fresh start. Just remember those words. When all hope was lost, when Noah and his family had been stuck on a boat for over a year, they weren't sure if God even knew they were there. Everything around them had been destroyed, but God, 
God intervened and he gave hope. And if you'll ask him, Father, would you give me a fresh start? He will. Pray with me. God, I thank you first for your word, always for your word, God, that shines light on truth, that points us towards who you are, this great and perfect Father, and who we are. God, today, if, if reading your word stirs something in us, and, and you show us that there is unconfessed sin in our life. God, right now we confess it to you. We repent. God, forgive us of our sins. You do through Jesus Christ. God, if we need a fresh start, there are people listening right now, the sound of my voice, who are begging for a fresh start, God, for a do-over. Would you give it to us? We've screwed things up so bad. We've broken the life that you've given us. Would you restart us? Would you recreate us? God, if we've never come to you and, and, and begin a relationship with Jesus, if we've never said to you, I am a sinner and Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I believe that then God, we come to you now. Would you remake us, make us new in Jesus Christ. Forgive us our sins. God, for our broken relationships, would you give us a do-over? For what's hurting inside of us, for the places of our heart where we've lost hope, would you renew us? Would you start things over again, God, and give us hope? God, thanks for Jesus who goes before us he went before us to deal with our sin on the cross, and he goes before us each day so that you can promise in your word your mercies are new every day. God, we receive that mercy. We thank you for the do-overs that you give us each and every day. We pray these things through Jesus' name. Amen.